Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then later, in verses 26 through 30, we read, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, service of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hey, good morning. It's good to see all of you here, and we are continuing on in our summer series called Down But Not Out, The Art of the Comeback. And I don't know about you, but as I read through the Bible, uh, the stories of the lives of men and women uh, who are in difficult places or who are facing uh, seemingly impossible odds, those stories really speak to me. And I go back to them again and again and again. As I, in the course of my daily life, as I'm sure you do, uh, face adversity. And uh, the Lord is good. And the Lord has placed in the pages of Scripture uh, narratives and stories about real people in real situations that we can relate to. And the reason he does that is because he wants us to know that we can turn to him in any situation, uh, in any adversity, uh, no matter how difficult no matter uh, how um, challenging it may be or what the odds may appear to be, uh, that God is faithful, that he is trustworthy, and that we can come to him and he will provide all that we need 
uh, for that moment. We can count on him. And so in our passage today in Daniel chapter 3, uh, we read the story of uh, three young Jewish men uh, who uh, were brought into uh, the Babylonian Empire as a part of um, the exile of the Jewish people. Uh, you might recall uh, the nation of Babylon, the Babylonians, uh, they sacked the southern kingdom of Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. And as they did that, uh, they took the peoples uh, into exile. And among them, they took the youngest and the brightest. And their intention was to train them in the ways of, of their people and their culture so that they could be elevated to service of the king. And that would be King Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, the context of our story in Daniel chapter 3 are, are these three young men, these Jews in exile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, a challenge uh, that comes before them, and the challenge is this. Uh, when faced with the pressure of the dominant culture that they found themselves exiled in, are they going to remain faithful, and are they going to trust in the God who is faithful? And really, that's the theme of the whole book of Daniel. Now, to understand really chapter 3 and the, and the story that Catherine read today, we have to understand kind of it in context. So open your Bibles up to Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to give you uh, the, the Reader's Digest version of all the events leading up uh, to this uh, dramatic encounter between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and King Nebuchadnezzar, which led up to them facing uh, the adversity uh, of the fiery furnace. So as I said, as you look into Daniel, even beginning in chapter 1, we see that the central theme is this, that in spite of all appearances, no matter what it seems like out here, right, that God is sovereign. Uh, there could be difficult circumstances. There can be challenges to faith. Uh, there can be a, a variety of things that we encounter in life that, that can really cause us to question, God, where are you? Or God, who really are you? God, do you know the difficulty I'm facing? God, are you aware of the adversity that I find myself in? And certainly those are valid questions, but they're kind of rhetorical questions because, of course, he does. And really, the, the book of Daniel is, is a book that's written as good news uh, for those in exile, uh, for those who have been taken from their home, who are living in a foreign land, who are surrounded by people who are worshiping foreign gods, and a king that is demanding allegiance to those gods. What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? And the real key question is, God, in the midst of all this, I believe that you're sovereign. And as the challenges come and the challenges to my faith in you, am I going to be resolute? Am I going to stand firm? A am I going to continue to trust you regardless of how things appear? Or am I going to compromise? Am I going to compromise? And that really uh, is the question, and that's, that's the setting that we find these three young Jewish exiles in. Are they going to trust God, or are they going to compromise their faith? 
So in Daniel chapter 1, of course, we read how Nebuchadnezzar, he sacks uh, Judah and Jerusalem, and, and he takes the, the finest young men uh, from, from Jerusalem, and he wants to bring them into his service. So he's going to select them, and he's going to make sure they get schooled in all the culture, the language, the history, the science, the religion uh, of the Babylonian people. And the idea is that after they go through this training, then they'll be fit for service of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And we read in Daniel uh, chapter 1 that as a part of that training, as a part of, of being put into the king's service, in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Verse 6, among those who were chosen from some from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. Uh, to Hananiah, Shadrach. Uh, to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And so you're going to notice something here from the very beginning. These young men have been forced into exile. They've been stripped from their home. Uh, their faith, their culture, everything that they know, everything that they believe in, is being challenged by this new placement in this foreign land and under the authority of a new king. In fact, it, it goes so far as that their identity is wiped away even to the place of their names. They're given new names. And you have to understand that names are important, aren't they? Names are important to our identity. And, and in the ancient time, especially in, in Hebrew and Jewish custom, the names that uh, a, a boy or a girl were given were really important, and it helped define and project uh, what their life or what their future might look like. And so here, their very identity is being wiped away uh, with the hope and the plan of the king of this foreign land of giving them a new identity. And yet what we're going to find is this, and, and this is really key to understanding the sovereignty of God and God's sovereign work in our lives. That there can be a lot of circumstances that we encounter in life. There can be a lot of challenges, a lot of adversity. And some of those can really strike to the heart and the core of who we are. Uh, they can really challenge us at a point of our identity. Who am I? Why am I here? What's God's purpose for my life? Uh, does God, uh, the majestic creator of the universe, uh, does he really care about me and, and my circumstances? And so sometimes we're faced with these challenges to, to who am I and what's really going on and, and, and where does that fit into God's plan? But here's the good news, and this is what we're going to see from chapter 1 moving forward in the life of, of Daniel and then his cohorts, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, is this, that our identity is certain when our identity is anchored in God. And as followers of Jesus, our identity is in Christ. And that identity remains solid. And that identity is sure. That identity is unwavering. And in God's sovereignty, as he has called us into relationship with himself, that we can trust him. And in that trust, our identity, regardless of what's happening on the outside, can remain anchored not only in the truth of who God is, 
but in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's his son, Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, we have a new identity. He's given that to us. And Christ is our good shepherd, knows us by name. And we, what? We hear the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd's promise is that no one will ever be able to snatch us from his hand. Okay? And so we see this even here in Daniel. This sense of identity in God being rooted and grounded that regardless of what's going on externally, internally there was a sense of God's sovereignty and that God was present in their life, even in exile. And so this is what happens. Daniel recognizes that the king's table is full of food and wine, but it's a violation of of Jewish dietary law and restriction. And so from the very beginning, are we going to compromise Or are we going to stand for what we believe? And so he goes and he makes an appeal to the king. And basically it's this. Let us eat according to our customs, according to the diet that our God would have us eat. And then compare us to the other young men. And at the end of this time, let's see who's more fit for service. And uh, really he was trusting in the sovereignty of God. And so the king allows that to happen. And what we read here towards the end of chapter 1 is that uh, at the end of that time, it says in verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now, this is really great. Listen to this, verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official who supervised all this, kind of the king's training table, right? Um, Presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found them, uh, and he found none equal to Daniel, to Hananiah, to Mishael, to Azariah. So he entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them, now catch this, ten times better than all the magicians and the encounters in the whole of his kingdom. Okay? And so despite the challenges, even to their customs and their understanding of their diet, uh, they remained faithful. They trusted in God's sovereignty. And lo and behold, King Nebuchadnezzar himself found that they were ten times better, more equipped, more able than anyone in his royal court or those that were placed into positions of leadership in his kingdom. That's an amazing story. And as a result, Daniel is promoted. And what we're going to find as we move on is because Daniel's promoted, he's put in a position now moving to chapter 2 where the king uh, has dreams. He needs interpretation, but no one can properly interpret them. Of course, Daniel can. And the king wants to exalt Daniel for being the one who can interpret his dreams. But lo and behold, what does Daniel do? He says, no, it's not I, but it's my God whom I serve. And at the end of chapter 2, uh, Daniel uh, is, is promoted. And if you look in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse uh, 48, it says, Then the king placed Daniel in high position and lavished many gifts on him. 
He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So again, what do we see? We see despite the challenges, despite the adversity, uh, despite the very threat to their own identity of who they are and their understanding of who God is, as they trust in the sovereignty of God, because the sovereignty of God really is the theme of the whole book, that God is sovereign no matter what things appear to be. We can trust that God is sovereign. Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They are promoted and they prosper in the king's court. It's very similar to the story we looked at a couple of weeks ago about the story of Joseph. Because God was with them and he trusted in them in everything that they did, they prospered. Why? Because God is sovereign. Because God can be trusted. Because when challenges come to our faith, when there's opportunity to compromise, we read about the story of, of these four young men, and in particular, in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see as they remain resolute in their faith, as they trust God in spite of the outward appearances of things, that God is faithful. And the good news for you and for me is that God is faithful to us too. God hasn't changed. Their God is our God. So, the plot thickens. Remember all those other young men that were kind of passed over? Those that weren't deemed by the king to be good enough for service? And, and not only those young men, but what about those who were already in service? Do you remember at the end of chapter 1, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar tested these young Jewish men in exile, and he found they were ten times more capable and able. What do you think that did in the hearts of those who were already in the king's service or the other young men that they were being considered with? Well, it created in those hearts jealousy. Okay. And so, at the end of chapter 2, because of the work of God through, through Daniel, okay, the king says, your God is the most high God. Truly, your God must be like the, the, the highest of all the gods. And, and that's because in Babylon, in a lot of the cultures or the cultures surrounding Israel, they were polytheists. They believed in multiple gods. So, if I believe in multiple gods, of all the gods, which God is the, the most high God? And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. Daniel, you have demonstrated that your God is the most high God. But Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were monotheists. They didn't believe in many gods. They believed in one God. We as Christians believe in one God, right? And, and he is the only God. All other gods are false gods. And he is the most high God. And he, and he alone is worthy of our praise and our adoration. That's our God. And that's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so... What happens is the king forgets. And isn't that interesting? At the end of chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar is extolling the God of Daniel. But here in chapter 3, he forgets and he creates this huge idol, 90 feet high, 
nine feet, uh, uh, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and he places this idol uh, on the plains of Dura in Babylon. And he gives an order that at the, the sound of music, uh, at the prelude of the music, at just the time appointed by the king, all the royal officials, all those in the service of Nebuchadnezzar, all those who are in exile and who are subject to King Nebuchadnezzar are to bow and to worship this false idol that he's created. Okay? Now, remember those other officials who were jealous about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? They say, now's our chance. Because when the music sounds and everybody goes to worship the false idol at the command of the king, they refused to. Now, they were in the crowd, and the king never would have noticed that they didn't. But those who were jealous did. And they said, King, everyone bowed at the appointed time to the idol that you have created, except these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know what you said, King? You said if anyone refuses to bow at the appointed time, that they're going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. That was the king's decree. That was the king's order. And so regardless of what the king felt about them, his word was at stake with the entire kingdom. And so the king called them. But rather than throw them into the furnace, what does he do? He gives them an opportunity to compromise. He says, you know the decree that I set forth. And you know what will happen to anyone who refuses to bow at the appointed time. Now, I'm going to give you another chance. And in this time, they're being called out. And they're being called out in front of all the royal court, in front of all the king's officials, and in front of all the people. There they stand. And the question is, what is it that they're going to do? How are they going to respond? There's great opportunity here to compromise. I don't know about you, but as I look at this story, I could justify or I could rationalize thinking, what's it going to hurt? God's put us in this great spot. We have great influence. Why do you want to go and ruin it all? What is it going to hurt? We'll just do this one time and it's over and we can move on and serve God. Or, you know, it's, it's just an idol it's not real, regardless of what other people think. It, it maybe it represents someone that they think is a deity, but we only know there's one God, so who cares whether or not we, we bow to it? What's it going to hurt? Or, you know, if we don't bow to it, we're going to face the fire, but if we do bow to it, we'll even get more favor with the king. And maybe we'll get even a higher position or promoted uh, because we gave in to what the king was asking us to do. So you see there are a lot of reasons here for them to compromise. There's a lot of justifications. There's a lot of rationalizations. And you know the same is true with you and me. There are times in our life when maybe we're questioning the sovereignty of God. We're put into circumstances or situations. Maybe we're standing in one of those situations where it's a, a blazing furnace kind of situation. And it seems as if if we obey God rather than man to move forward in the trust and sovereignty of God, the outcome doesn't look like it's too promising, at least from what it appears. Versus if we compromise, maybe we'll end up a little bit better. 
And we all come into those situations. I call those a crisis of belief. There are times when our faith is tested. And when our faith is tested, sometimes it's tested and only we know, right? Just us and God. But there are other times it's tested that other people know. And so our decisions, whether it's just whether we know and God knows or other people know, uh, it makes a difference and it has consequences and it has influence in the lives of other people. This is exactly a crisis of belief and this is what's going on with King Nebuchadnezzar and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Now I want to call your attention here back to verses 16, 17, and 18 of chapter 3. That's part of what was read today. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Now, this is their reply to him. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then, we will del- then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. Okay? Now, catch this, verse 18. I want you to keep your finger there. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the God you have set up. That's really key. But even if. But even if. You see, they knew Exodus chapter 20. Right? Verses 3 and 4, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the portion that says, You shall not worship any god but the Lord your God, and you shall make no false images or idols and bow down before them. They knew that. They knew that God had commanded that. And in this moment, the question was, were they going to trust in the Word of God? Were they going to be obedient to what had God had commanded them? Or were they going to give in and compromise to the king's command. And so, respectfully, they say to the king, listen, we understand what's going to happen here. And we believe that our God, who is sovereign in all things, can rescue us if he chooses. If he chooses. But even if he doesn't, but even if, we will not worship the idol. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls three of his largest men, and he has them lead Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace. And as he leads them to the furnace, this furnace is huge. By the way, scholars think the reason this furnace is so large and the reason it got so hot, because this is the very furnace that was used to fashion the metals that created this 90-foot high, 9-foot wide idol. All right? This is a big furnace. It has the capacity to get blazing hot. And the three chosen soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar who were obeying their king's command went to take these three Jews in exile to the furnace. And lo and behold, what happens? They are instantly incinerated by the heat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are fully clothed and and their hands are bound, they fall into the furnace. And then something amazing happens. As they fall into the furnace, the king and all who were there to witness it saw, the Scripture says, that none of their clothing 
was burned. In fact, it was as if the fire burned around them and did not consume them. Not even a hair on their head was singed. But the king saw that while three fell in, there were four. And the king said it was as if one of the four was a son of the God that was in there with them. Okay? Now, again, scholars debate this. Was this an angel of the Lord? Or, as the king said, a son of God, okay, or a son of a God in there with them. Is this actually a theophany? Is this a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself who's in the fire, in the furnace with these three young men? Regardless, the king recognizes that whatever it is, whoever it is, it's their God that's at work. And so he calls them out. And as he calls them out, he declares to all the people, and this is such good stuff. This is their, their, the power of their witness. Verse 28, chapter 3. That Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Do you remember before he threw him in? Remember the threat that he issued to them? He said, Listen, if you don't obey me, I'm going to throw you in a fire, and then... What God can rescue you from my hand? Do you see that? And now he's proclaiming, after God did deliver them, that they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. And the end result is, he gives a decree to all the people from all the exiled nations Regardless, they are to do nothing against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he promotes them to even a higher place of authority and honor. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I'm faced with a choice of whether or not I'm going to trust in God regardless of how things may appear. Am I going to believe that God is sovereign? Am I going to believe that God is greater than my circumstance, the challenges, the adversity uh, that, that I face? Or in those moments, do I want a Burger King God? Do you remember Burger King, the, the song, the jingle? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. Uh, are we going to be followers of God who want God to let us have it our way? Or are we going to trust in His sovereignty? Because at those times, I know for myself, I'm tempted to say, God, I'm facing something really difficult. And here's my desired outcome, God. And I'll tell you what, then I become a let's make a deal Christian. God, I want to make a deal with you. If you just be a Burger King God for me, and, and, and you have things turn out the way I would like them, if you serve up life the way I want it served up, I promise I'll do this for you or I won't do that anymore or whatever it might be. I begin to bargain with God. But you know what? I don't want a Burger King God. I want a God who's sovereign. I want a God that I can trust in regardless of what I see, regardless of the circumstances of my life. I want a God that's with me every moment of my life up until those 
blazing furnace situations, but I want a God that's going to be with me in the blazing furnace. And that's what we see happen here. That, that God didn't rescue these three men from the fire. But God showed up and was with them in the fire. I want to be the kind of follower of Jesus that says this. I know what I'm facing. Uh, I'm real about life, about the challenges. And when those challenges come, I don't want to turn to idols. I don't want to allow things to to occupy my heart and life and, and try to substitute with those things what only God can do for me. I want to trust in you, God, regardless of how hot the flames are, regardless of what the fire is, that even if I'm thrown into the flames, even if you don't serve it up the way I'd like you to, that I believe you're going to be there with me. And you know in that picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that fourth figure there in the fire with them, is a beautiful picture of those who are given over to death but then find resurrection and new life. And we see in it a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. That He's defeated sin and death. That we have victory even over our greatest enemy. So that we can say as the, as the psalmist in Psalm 118 or as the author of Hebrews does in Hebrews 13.6, I put my confidence in God. What can anyone do to me? And so here's the question. Are we going to be, but even if, Christians? That's what I want for my life. That's what I pray for your life. And I know that that's what God calls us to. That even if the very thing we don't want to happen happens, or the circumstance doesn't turn out the way we'd like, or, or the appearance of things seems hopeless. But even if, I will still worship uncompromisingly the Lord my God. I will not abandon the one who has promised never to abandon, never to leave, or never to forsake me. The good news is this. God doesn't always save us from the fire. But when He doesn't, He's with us in the fire. He's with us in the fire. God is sovereign. In that, we can trust.